Christina Schwartz started out working with at-risk youth, working the midnight shift so she could spend time at home with her young daughter. When the mental and physical toll became too great, Christina set in motion a plan that would allow her to spend time with family and make a living. Christina opened a daycare out of her home. So I did that for five years straight. And then um, actually my grandmother passed away. So then when my grandmother passed away, it was kind of like this kick in the pants to kind of, this isn't all that you're meant to do. You need to be doing more. So that's when I looked into becoming a licensed childcare provider myself so that I could access professional development and be able to help people that required childcare subsidy. But when I looked at who was offering licensed childcare in our area, I didn't really like their models. I didn't think that they fit someone that had experience, that knew the business background of it. So then I contacted the Ministry of Education and then from that point I decided to license as an agency myself. So rather than running my own home daycare, I would then license other people's home daycares and give them kind of a model that I kind of thought would work best. But Christina's five-year business plan quickly went out the window. It was a five-year plan because I still have my own kids within my own home. So it was a five-year plan to kind of grow the business, to age all of my own daycare children into school, and then just take over the agency full-time. And unfortunately, I can't just age my kids out anymore. We just got too busy. So within two years, we've maxed out our license. So our license with the Ministry of Education is for 25 homes, and we've done that. So essentially right now, I'm working two full-time jobs because I have my home childcare program, but then I also have 25 homes that I'm overseeing. So it's just working all the time. So finding that work-life balance has been a little bit tricky. Um, so instead of a five-year plan, it's become a two-year plan. So we're just closing the home daycare at the end of this summer and so I can focus just on the agency. Christina has had mentors along the way, people to help guide her through the paperwork and red tape of being a daycare licensor. But she says mentorship has always come back to her grandmother. But she was a very, very strong female role model. And so when she was growing up, it wasn't really common that girls even finished high school. And that was one of my great grandmother's big things is that her girls were going to finish school. Her girls were going to have an education. Her girls were going to go into the workforce and make a difference. And it didn't matter what they did in the workforce. It didn't have to be an entrepreneur position or anything, but they just had a voice. And so I kind of was raised with that. So I'm with I come from a family of strong women, so when you have that mentorship behind you, you don't necessarily need to go out and look for it elsewhere. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Christina explains why she isn't interested for the time being in expanding the number of daycare spaces that she oversees. And she warns potential business owners that work-life balance can be thrown into disarray when first starting out. But she says it will settle down she stresses the importance of keeping your family in the loop about your business plans. Christina Schwartz on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. So today we're recording out of our home studio and I'm delighted to have Christina Schwartz with me today for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You know, Christina and I, we're, uh, we're both hockey moms. <laughs> and that, that's how we met in the arenas where we spend many an hour uh, every weekend. With lots of blankets. With and lots of coffee. Blankets. Yeah. Maybe some Baileys. Not saying yes or no to that. Meh. 
But uh, we got talking about about you and, and what you do in the podcast, and I just um, I just think it's so awesome what you've been doing over the last few years that I had to have you on for an episode. <laughs> um, so really thrilled, and maybe we'll just we'll just start. Um, why don't we talk about uh, kind of you know what you've been doing the last few years? Um, and uh, you're a home care provider, mm-hmm. um, and you had a plan. And you've been working on your plan. Yeah. Um, So maybe uh, talk about that and and kind of your career path to where you are today. Okay. Um, So how far back do we want to go on a career path? You know what? How about to when you... Because because home care is not your first career. No. So maybe when you made the decision... What you were doing first, how you made the decision to switch into home care, and then now what you've started to do. Okay, sure. Absolutely. So... Um, I was working with at-risk youth before, so I had spent four years working midnight so that I could be home during the day with my daughter, and that took a huge mental and physical toll. So then when we had our son, the choice to go back to work was kind of an easy one. So I decided at that point that I would just stay home and that I would run a daycare, and as well, my husband's career was kind of taking off as well. So then me being home allowed him to work the long hours, do the traveling and everything else so that he could kind of succeed. And so um, I kind of just fell in love with it. It was at my home. I got to raise my own children and I got to make an impact on other people's kids as well and help other families with affordable childcare. That's awesome. So I think that's, uh, um, that's really great. And also kind of, you know, um, a bit of a risk, right? You had, you had a job that you could have gone back to Mm -hmm. full time, got your weekly paycheck, but you made the decision. So how did you, how did you start that? When you started home daycare, how did you get clients? Okay. Well, honestly, Facebook was still a thing back then. So (laughs) it was a few years ago, but Facebook was really big. So I, um, the first thing I did was I created a business Facebook page. I shared it with all of my friends and just through, um, organic marketing, I filled my daycare spaces. So that's kind of how the daycare took off. So I did that for five years straight. And then, um, actually my grandmother passed away. So then when my grandmother passed away, it was kind of like this kick in the pants to kind of, this isn't all that you're meant to do. You need to be doing more. So that's when I looked into becoming a licensed childcare provider myself so that I could access professional development and be able to help people that require childcare subsidy. But when I looked at who was offering licensed childcare in our area, I didn't really like their models. I didn't think that they fit someone that had experience that knew the business background of it. So then I contacted the Ministry of Education and then from that point I decided to license as an agency myself. So rather than running my own home daycare, I would then license other people's home daycares and give them kind of a model that I kind of thought would work best. So what you believe in and how yeah. you think home daycare my, should run. My core values and um, just how I see the business side of it. So I remember when... and. I guess it's been a couple of years now. It's amazing how fast the kids oh, grow, so isn't fast. it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, when you were talking about this five-year plan that you had. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, are we two, two and a half years now? We were two July 7th. Two July 7th. Yeah. So uh, what I think is remarkable is you had a plan, you had a goal, and now here we are two years later and you've actually achieved your goal. Oh yeah, it was a five-year plan. So it was a five-year plan because I still have my own kids within my own home. So it was a five-year plan to kind of grow the business, to age all of my own daycare children into school, and then just take over the agency full-time. And unfortunately, 
I can't just age my kids out anymore. We just got too busy. So within two years, we've maxed out our license. So our license with the Ministry of Education is for 25 homes, and we've done that. So essentially right now, I'm working two full-time jobs because I have my home childcare program, but then I also have 25 homes that I'm overseeing. So it's just working all the time. So finding that work-life balance has been a little bit tricky. Um, so instead of a five-year plan, it's become a two-year plan. So we're just closing the home daycare at the end of this summer and so I can focus just on the agency. So you're now a full-time licensor. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> pretty remarkable. And you know what I'd like I'd like to talk about for a minute, um, which which wasn't in the pre-plan, but it just got me thinking when you were talking there. Uh, leadership. So now you went from running your own business, being mm -hmm. your own boss, but now you have twenty five home cares that are under your licensing that you have to make sure are following uh, are doing things properly and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, well, how's that transition been to actually kind of overseeing other people and kind of about your leadership style? It's been a huge learning curve, huge learning curve. So, um, especially with some of my home childcare providers, they started as a peer relationship first, right? So they're in my community, they're my peers, and now in their licensing, um, Kind of boss essentially and that was a weird transition to make and so ensuring that I respect their um, personal space with between the peer relationship and the work relationship has been a really big learning curve so how do you do that how do you is it just an agreement that you know we're friends but we also have this business venture together yeah so my biggest thing with those particular individuals is I have a staff member. So my staff members member is our registered home early childhood educator and she's a home visitor. So with those people, um, she's the one that goes and visits their homes. So she's the one that's acting as the supervisor role. If there's ever anything that needs to be addressed where it comes up to me, then I have to deal with it. But for the most part, I try to just keep that relationship completely with that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's kind of made a huge difference. With the rest of the agency, I still kind of do the same thing. So it's a lot of the home visitor doing the one-on-one -on -one interactions. And then I'm more, well, I pay them. They kind of like yeah. that. And I do all the billing and administrative part of the business. And I try to leave a lot of the home visiting up to the home visitor. And that's her role. Um, but I do like having that one-to-one -one relationship with providers as well. For sure. So you talk there about you. So you run the business aspects. Mm -hmm. So how did, how did you learn how to run a business? Like how, did you go to school? What, like, how did you figure that out? <laughs> huh. Well, I have QuickBooks. <laughs> That's a plug. They can pay me back for my service. Right. Absolutely. No. Um, yeah, I use QuickBooks and a lot of it was just, um, just on the go. So having a good relationship with my financial advisor as well at the bank and kind of asking them questions. My accountant is actually my sister-in-law's brother-in-law, which seems kind of far removed, but we see each other all the time. So having that person being someone that's also kind of on a peer level, I can ask some kind of questions that I might be embarrassed to ask an actual accountant for. Um, and then really it's just trial and error. And a lot of it when it's childcare, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's not a, a hard thing to be able to understand. The biggest was the relationship with the county. So that was a big kind of learning curve as well. But the ladies that work at the county for accessing the child care subsidy and the grants, they've been really, really nice. And um, a lady, she's actually retired now, but she kind of acted a little bit as a mentor to me when I first started. And she kind of took me under her wing and kind of helped me out with the county part of it. That's awesome. You know, and uh, talking about, um, about mentorship then. 
So you mentioned her as a mentor. Have there been other people that have played a role in kind of you deciding that you wanted to do this or just people that you look up to or have inspiration that you pull from? Um, I guess really what is mentorship to you? Uh, mentorship can come in a lot of different ways. So it can be a physical person. It can be um, items from podcasts. I like a couple different podcasts that I listen to. So they're not somebody that I can call up and ask particular questions to but I can listen to their podcast and kind of get like oh this is what they're doing or this is their suggestions and it's actually um it's been really really useful mentorship though um really I'd probably play it back to my grandma still so she's no longer with us but she was a very very strong female role model and so when she was growing up it wasn't really common that girls even finished high school and that was one of my great grandmother's big things is that her girls were going to finish school her girls were going to have an education her girls were going to go into the workforce and make a difference and it didn't matter what they did in the workforce it didn't have to be an entrepreneur position or anything but they just had a voice and so I kind of was raised with that so I'm with I come from a family of strong women, so when you have that mentorship behind you, you don't necessarily need to go out and look for it elsewhere. And those, I think, um, I mean, for me, always what I've found with mentors that I've had is those connections. It's their organic connections, right, mm -hmm. that help you, the people that you look up to every day um, in your situations. I think that's amazing that uh, you had that with your grandmother and that, uh, you know, you're part of a, a strong, strong female family. I think that's great. Um... So, I think that you're in a good position to answer this question. Okay. Um, so, people out there that, you know, maybe they're not in the profession that they actually want to be in, or maybe, maybe they're thinking of a change, or they want to expand their business, or they want to do something. What kind of advice would you give to someone that wants to try something new, or wants to change things in their lives? So, if you wake up thinking about it, and you go to sleep thinking about it, you need to do it first. So, you have to have a drive and a passion to be taking that next step. And then it's not an easy road. So you can't go into it and assume that it's going to be easy and that everything is going to fall in place. Even two years later, it looks like everything fell into place, but it's been a lot of work. So for two years, when you start a business, so if you're talking about particularly entrepreneurship, you don't have a work-life balance. And as much as we need to have a work-life balance, you need to understand that for a couple of years, you need to talk to your partner, you need to be on the same page, and you need to understand that you are going to have to work a lot. And as long as you can make those commitments and understand that that's going to be what you need to do, then go for it. Because once you get past the first couple of years, then you feel like you're really into a rhythm, you can then start to delegate more, you can have that work-life balance back, but for the first couple of years, especially with entrepreneurship, it is hard. Mm -hmm. So be prepared to go all in. Yeah, you have to be all in. It can't just be a side hustle. Yeah. If you have a side hustle and it's successful, then it's marginally successful. If you want to make it something that's going to grow, you need to be all in. And you need to have everyone supporting you. If you don't have people supporting you, then it's going to hurt your family relationships. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're open and you communicate that this is what your plan is, then hopefully when you get down that two, three years down the road, that you can be in the position where I am, where you can then back off a bit, have a bit more um, delegation, and just work-life balance. So what's, what's next for you? What, what, what have you got your eye on in the next, in the next five years? In the next five years. Um, so right now we're kind of at a hold. So we've maxed out our current license of 25 home child care providers. And all that means is 
I could reapply for a second license to the Ministry of Education. It's like 300 bucks or something like that. It's resubmitting all the paperwork and I can expand by another 25 homes. But we're really not interested in that at this point. So we're two years old. We grew really, really fast. So for the next year, we want to be focusing on our core 25. We want to ensure that the core 25 homes are really strong, that they're really following our philosophy and our morals and kind of what we're planning for for the business. And then once we're sure that all of those homes are really secured, then we'll look at expanding further. But it's not... Um, that kind of back talks a bit on the business side because it's really hard on the business side to turn people away. And Absolutely. that's kind of what I've been doing. So you're kind of looking at money and saying, see you later. But if you don't have a strong base within your business, it doesn't matter how fast you're going to grow because it'll, it'll collapse. Right. I think that's great. Um, I think that's good. And I think, um, I think your approach to really growing what you have first and then thinking about what the, you know, maybe the bigger looks like is, uh, it's probably a smart way to go because I like what you said, you know, like if you grow fast but you don't grow with quality or with that, then it's going to collapse within you. Mm -hmm. it's and it's all relative to the business, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was making sunscreen and our sunscreen business grew massively and I just needed to make more sunscreen, then I could just make a bigger company and make more sunscreen. But we're not dealing with sunscreen. We're dealing with children and they're our most valuable resource they are who are going to be taking care of us when we're older they're growing up in a world that we don't even know what it's going to look like so if we're not um, building them and giving them as much as we possibly can then we're not doing service to ourselves, and we're definitely not growing our business appropriately mm -hmm. yeah um so i guess uh, what i like to talk about now so if you could go back in time mm -hmm. to maybe i don't know a, a point in time finishing high school when you're deciding what you want to be what whatever that is and you could have lunch with yourself, mm -hmm. that younger version of you. What would the conversation look like? What would you, what would you tell yourself? Oh, so many things. Um, but I think I thought about this one actually a little bit. Um, stop trying to grow up. I think that would be my biggest one. So I've listened to your podcast before and I've heard people go back and say like, you know, you're worth it. Like you're good just how you are and all that kind of stuff. And that's a really good message. But we spend so much time teaching children and especially girls to plan for the future. What is your future going to look like? Who are you going to be in the future? What is your job, your five, your 10 year plan? And really you're going to get there regardless as to how much you plan or how much you don't plan, you're still going to grow up. So trying to live for tomorrow, for the next year, whatever, you're not living in that moment anymore. And so I think that would be my biggest. I always planned from the time I was really, really little, what I was going to do when I grow up. And I spent less time actually doing the stuff on that day, in that moment. So I think that would be my advice to myself is stop trying to be that next version of yourself. Just be happy where you are. And I think that only kind of came to me in the last year or so. And so I think it's also kind of a bit of a maturity thing in growing up myself that, you know what, like I can look at someone who's 30, 35, I can look at somebody who's 50, 60, 70, and we're all still trying to do the same things. And we're all still looking to tomorrow when really it's our relationships and the people that we're around are the most important thing in that moment. Awesome. So something fun I want to try this year. Um, is kind of like three fast facts about you. So okay. I'm going to ask you a question and you just answer with kind of the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Um, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, I have two. So I'm going to break the rules already. So my business favorite podcast is building a story brand. He's got an, um, a book as well, but the podcast, it's kind of like 
he says it often in there. It's like getting a MBA through a podcast. He has amazing guests on and it's all kind of entrepreneur and business related. And he talks about, um, he's not a millennial himself, but he talks a lot about the millennial workforce and kind of how to help those people. The second one would be Huga in the early years. And Huga isn't, um, a childcare term that we really use in North America yet. We like our Reggio and our Montessori and our emergent curriculum, but Huga is a Danish word. It's actually comes from like the 18th century and it kind of encompasses everything that I already am in my Canadian form. So Huga is just living in a way that is comfort. So your hot chocolate and your warm blankets when you sit on the couch and bringing that into the early years. So it encompasses the Reggio, but it also just it teaches you to live in the moment and then just to kind of live more naturally. Very cool. Yeah. Two to check out. Yeah. Um, what book are you reading? <laughs> this one might seem a bit different because I'm, <laughs> I'm in early years, but I'm actually reading The Tattooist. So oh, cool. it's the, um, an, a World War II memoir. And so it's actually from the perspective of the tattooist in Auschwitz. So a lot of people don't know that the tattooist in the um, in the concentration camp that would actually put the number on the Jewish um, prisoners was actually a Jewish prisoner himself. So he was putting those numbers on his people. And so it's kind of his story. And I really like World War II kind of delving into that stuff. So it has nothing to do with my career field, but um, it's a really good book. Very good. Have you read The Ellis Network? I did. So I really like that one too. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, the only one that I've read that I've been, I really didn't like, like I liked the story, but the end of it really, really bothered me was Sarah's Key. Oh yeah, that's a hard one. That was a hard one to read because I was just like, the whole time I was kind of really hopeful that that little boy, but no, didn't for anyone that out. hasn't read it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and my final question is, uh, what's a person, male or female, that you're currently looking at and saying, wow. Hmm. That's a hard one. Um, Dr. Jean Clinton. And Actually, tell us a little about, uh, Dr. Jean Clinton is a professor in the early years world. So she talks all over the world, her view of the emergent curriculum, the child, child brain development, anything to do with that. I love, I soak up every bit of it. She's just an incredible spirit. Christina, I want to thank you for joining us today. I think this was uh, uh, a great conversation and an extension of a lot of our conversations we've had over, over <laughs> no, hockey definitely. practice and games. But uh, thank you for taking time out of your, uh, your busy schedule and uh, joining us for an episode. Well, thank you for having me, Bonnie. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak and music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Andrea Cook is an industry leader in the art of connecting brands to consumers in the digital and data age. She's the president of FCB6, a data and digital creative agency that has received plenty of accolades within the industry. Andrea also dedicates her time to promoting the development of women in the digital marketing business. Andrea Cook, on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.